You loved Malcolm and he touched your life. He made you laugh. Perhaps he gave you hope to continue on the pathway of your chosen career. Wherever you are here, you are here to remember him, to give thanks for his life, and to allow your own life to reflect the good and beautiful things of his life, and perhaps also to remember those parts of his life which he might rather forget, but which teach us about the road that we walk and how we are to relate to other people. Perhaps you are also shocked to see the one whom you loved, the one who touched your life, to see his coffin. His death was sudden, tragic, unexpected. And by bringing him here to this place, you give yourselves time Time to remember, time to reflect, time to commend Malcolm to God and to pray for him in your own particular way. We stand to sing our first hymn, because Malcolm was
almost, the sort of secular vicar. Thank you, Father Peter. We're a bit of a double act this morning. Um, yes, the Lord God, whoever you may be, you did make the little flowers that open, you did make the little bird that sings, and then you had a couple of pints and you made Malcolm Harlow. <laughs> except his stand-up material was original. <laughs> he was the one-off's one-off. Uh, and I stole that joke too. He was the most extraordinary man. So let's just start off, release a little tension by sitting back and looking and giving a huge round of applause for the most remarkable person that a lot of us have ever met. something of Malcolm will remain. Um, it's right that we're in here because, it's right that we're here because we're in Greenwich. Malcolm was Greenwich. He was Greenwich and he was Deptford and he was the River Thames and he had a big pair of beautiful glasses. <laughs> he was London. We are London here today because of Malcolm. What an extraordinary gathering we all are. It's also right that we're here in the church because Malcolm always had an eye for the comic possibilities of the formal event. The interrupted press conference, the tractor through the pretentious show. I attended his wedding here and I have to say it was one of the most mar marvellous and ludicrous events of my life. He asked me to, he said, will you, oh, will you, uh, will you read a bit in the Bible? 
at me Wednesday. I said, well, all right, what do you want me to read? He said, anything, don't matter, Matt, don't matter. Which bit did you read? Well, it, it was a bit that contained the word rod. Um, and it was all about not misusing your rod, as I recall. It was from the Old Testament. It was. It would oh, be. Yeah. Yes, and uh, of course, as some of you may remember, as Neil here had helped me written on the back of his shoes. Uh, here is a bit from the Bible. There are going to be some bits from the Bible, just in case God does exist and Malcolm needs to get in. <laughs> is now the eternal keeper of the, the balloon dance, um, has, he's going to read a bit from the Bible, and he's picked it himself. Uh, this is a bit that, that he, he particularly likes. And uh, Steve, good guy. Thank you. And what a fantastic round of applause. <laughs> It's very important, actually, it's very important to Malcolm and his friends and, and people that he'd only just met, that they were having fun and um, they wanted for nothing in his company. Everybody, as you know, whoever they were, a stranger, whoever, were welcome at Malcolm's table, always. Malcolm Hardy didn't judge people. That's one thing he didn't do, he never judged people. He, you'd never hear him gossiping behind people's backs or... He was... He wasn't that kind of man. This is from Luke 37. Uh, Luke, Luke 6, actually. Sorry, Vicar. Luke, <laughs> Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured onto your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured against you. How about that? <laughs> no, just <laughs> read it. First time been echoed by a vicar. <laughs> on the outside, on the outside, Malcolm always presented an attitude of nothing matters and who gives a care. Is that in the Bible? No, this is not. This is my bit. <laughs> But on the inside, as we know, Malcolm did care very much. Malcolm was a sensitive man, and he showed it with good humour and generosity. And you know that. This is a, a, another piece from Luke. This is 6.43. A tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Malcolm did that with action and speaking. In his own way, of course. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Hardy, a great man with a great big, big, big heart.
When the family were talking about what hymns to choose for today, they suddenly said, we want to sing that one about the sea. So I said, the one about the sea, do you mean when the lifeboat goes out? Yes, they said, we want to sing the one about the lifeboat, because he was a lifeboat for many people. When they were in trouble, he was there for them. When the waves of the world were crashing around them, Michael would find, Malcolm would find a way to help them. can go out to those who are in trouble, to those who are overwhelmed. And like Malcolm Gerard, did you know he was called Gerard? Bring them home. Please stand to sing for those in peril on the sea.
Well, um, I wrote this when I was about 15, um, and I, it, uh, I wrote it as a GCSE piece of coursework. I had to write something about myself, or something about personal to me. Um, personal writing non-fiction. Well, my teacher thought that this was fiction, but I had to tell him it was true. <laughs> It's not quite a Thomas Hardy epic, but uh, here goes anyway. I've cut some bits out, to, uh, but I've kept in the most relevant bits. My dad is the most crazy, wacky, weird and unusual dad to have. You wouldn't believe half the things that my dad got up to in his lifetime. Many of them you don't want to hear. But if you think I'm going to spare the details, think again. This is a collection of true stories and events that have happened to my dad, which may make you laugh, be surprised, or even feel sympathetic towards me. <laughs> my, my dad's life is like a badly gone wrong version of EastEnders, mix, mixed with the emotions of a viewing of who wants to be a millionaire. For those of you who don't know my dad, which I don't think there's anybody here, um, he is a stand-up comedian who works for circuits in South East London. And without sounding quite boastful, he's quite good in a dirty, sick kind of way. <laughs> in fact, he has won the Time Outstanding Achievement Award in 1998. Um, I'll be honest, my dad earns quite a bit of money, but he does not spend it wisely. <laughs> with, with the money he is earning, he, he should do a, a lot more with it. But where does it go? This brings me on to my first short story called Booze, Fags, Betting and the Taxman. <laughs> The one thing I have to say about my dad is that he's always trying to con the system. Actually, it's not really conning the system to get the money, more that he enjoys the thrill of it. You name it, he will try to get round it. For example, the car breaks down, he's not a member of the AA, so he phones up his mate, who is, and then gets the free recovery. If he gets caught, he'll just try again, just to beat the system. Where is this leading? Well, uh, you, you, where is this leading, you may ask? Well, Dad tried the biggest swindle I've ever heard of. When the tax uh, form came round each year, he would write in his own handwriting, deceased or passed away, <laughs> and sent it back. <laughs> to, to give him credit, well, they didn't give him credit. It worked up, <laughs> worked up until 1997 when he got caught, and he started paying back. Anyway, any money he spends is on alcohol betting, which is lowered since his near lottery win, and fags. The doctor predicted that he should be dead two and a half years ago. Only willpower is keeping him going. I don't think my dad will ever change, insofar as my dad will one day die in a fa with a fag in his mouth, drunk, outside Labrooks in Greenwich. My next short story is called Malcolm's Motors Limited. Malcolm's cars are somewhat different. No, let's be honest, they're crap. He buys second-hand motors that fall apart within a week. I've known one car which he spent ten times more than he paid for on repairs. He gets them from all places, wherever he can find a deal. The only thing is, he doesn't get a deal. He gets a shoddy bit of old tin. If he saved his money, which he can't do, he could afford a decent car, one that works, or even a new car. But seeing as this will never happen, it's back to the B-Rage Skoda. The next story is called Kiss Me Hardy. The famous words of uh, the last words of Nelson. Where does this tie into my dad, you cry? 
Well, um, I will answer that one for you right now. My dad has a passion for boat, buying shoddy boats. They are, they are just as bad as a car, any cartoon death trap. He takes his friends up and down the Thames and see if he can come back with, to Greenwich with all the members he started out with. As you can probably imagine, I've been on many boat, boats in, a, in his time, but the scariest trip was when we had a small tin tub with an outboard motor. It was a very choppy day, meaning the waves were high, and there was Malcolm, Jack, Jack's mum, Poppy and I on the boat. We headed for the Thames Barrier and went through the wrong way. Then we came close to being killed. We nearly hit the barrier. Once we had finally got back to shore, Jack's mum went bananas. She said she'd never go on one of Malcolm's boats again. And you know what? She was on one of his finest, an old saucepan lid, about a year later. It still doesn't excuse the fact that Dad's boats are the worst thing on the Thames. A hardy family Christmas. Every year, Hardy, all the Hardys get together and have a family meal. How nice, you may think. But, <laughs> but, but, the, but the, same things, the same things always go wrong. There are never enough knives and forks to go round. Rancho rabbits on about whether the turkey will be drier than last year. Alex, my uncle, who I see once a year, um, is, bur is, is burning the vegetables and we never eat before nine in the evening. My, my dad doesn't drink on Christmas Day. He says he drinks plenty on the other 364 <laughs> the, re the rest of us drink snowball, snowballs and exchange presents. Alex cooking may take a long time, but it's beautiful once we've picked it up in our fingers and waited until nine at night. The hearty Christmas dinner is something I'll never forget. This almost brings me to the end of my stories about Dad's life. I hope you've enjoyed hearing them as much as I enjoyed writing them. As you've realised, my dad has been through the ups and downs of life. But my dad is the type of person who will relish the bad times and drink to the good times. I love my dad so much, and it won't be long before another sad prank, swindle or adventure is to be had with Malcolm. He's a top-class, different kind of dad. But I do tell him, one day your drinking will kill you. And he replies, so long as a rum and coke is waiting in a smoke-filled bookies up there, I don't mind. <laughs> Not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. 
Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. And why do you worry about your lives? Consider Malcolm Hardy. Malcolm Hardy of where, Lord, interrupted Peter. All the others have been of somewhere. The birds of the air, the lilies of the field. You've established a formula, you have to run with it. It's the rule of three. Very well, continued Jesus. Consider Malcolm Hardy of South London. He does not sow nor reap, nor store away in barns. He does not labour or spin. He does not take meetings or do lunch or hone his act. And yet, did he not go on at midnight at Glastonbury, year after year after year, with nothing more than a harmonica, some luminous paint, and the opening line, I remember when this was all fields. Was it not the funniest thing you ever saw? Well, said Doubting Thomas, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Jesus continued, I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendour, looked as magnificent as Malcolm Hardy, clad only in a partially deflated party balloon. <laughs> and so I say to you, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or once we're up on stage in front of thousands of pain punters, what shall we actually say? <laughs> Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Oi, oi. When Stuart began his reading, you went really quiet because you thought, this is for real. He's going to read from the Bible and not send it up. <laughs> because maybe, in fact, you want to go really quiet for just a few moments. And far be it from me to comment on typos, but is Jules Holland really going to play precious or pressure, Lord? Pressure, Lord? It's precious, but we like pressure. <laughs> so as Jules plays, perhaps we do need just for a few moments to be still. Because maybe there are things that you wish you had said to this man. 
Maybe there are things you wish you had done for him. But his death was sudden, and there was no warning, there was no time to go to him, to help him prepare for this moment. And maybe as Jules Holland plays, you will be able to remember him, the moments you shared with him, precious moments perhaps known only to you. Because whatever you think about where this man is, I know that he is with God and that he is already there. And that in a wonderful way, we all know that he is with us now and is part of what is going on. So allow your precious and perhaps personal memories of Malcolm to bind you to him as we listen to Jules Holland playing Pressure. Lord.
that was that was very really beautiful. Another round of applause. What Frank said. That was such a marvellous speaker. It's funny, I last saw Frank when Malcolm was using him as a ventriloquist puppet. <laughs> no. Frank doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, went to Oxford, Malcolm used to say, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> and now, the vicar will double. <laughs> a magnificent disregard for convention and cleanliness. <laughs> Yet, somehow, he attracted some truly marvellous women. Here is Joe Brand. something that would be suitable to read about Malcolm and I couldn't find anything so I'm sorry I've had to write something myself and I'm even sorrier that it's a poem. Scourge of our expectations, comic, father, husband, son, in all your incarnations the same in every one. With dandruff on your glasses and curry on your tie, you never let the chance of drink or mayhem pass you by. In the greatest show on legs or betting council grants on a horse, you were South London's very own huge shambolic force. The tunnel, a beery coliseum, sucked us in and spat us out, and you, a philanthropic Nero, savoured every bout. All your jokes were ancient. I met my wife in Australia. But you made up for that with your legendary genitalia. Never where they should be, always out on show. What a pity they and you had to up and go. You never made it on the telly, never got the call. Too much of a loose cannon, and definitely too much ball. <laughs> the best routine was your life, and everything you did. And by the way, Malcolm, you owe me 500 quid. <laughs> because Malcolm, of course, had an eccentric relationship with clients. Uh, perhaps he would have worn his annual costume today, kilts maybe, might even have worn his Elvis gone to the dog's gold one piece. And maybe he would have played the harmonica, because Malcolm played the harmonica very, very often. <laughs>
Anderson, could Anderson tell you to go? skin suit, uh, a string vest and a pair of red shoes. And, um, and uh, I arrived about three o'clock in the afternoon and was informed by Malcolm that I wouldn't go on until half ten that evening. And Malcolm said to me, you, should, you might as well go for a drink and, uh, and come back later. And he pointed me in the direction of this guy who was selling cider. And he said, this guy sells cider, it's really good, and it's, it's very mild, it's not very strong at all. <laughs> so I went off and I found this guy who was selling cider, and he was selling cider for 1.50 a gallon. <laughs> and I had, I had some of the cider, and by half past ten, needless to say, I was very drunk indeed. And there was an a cappella band on just before me. And there was five microphones on the stage, and Malcolm was supposed to strike four of the microphones and leave one for me, but of course he didn't. And he introduced me, and I went on, and there was five microphones, and I was staggering around trying to find a microphone, and I fell off the stage um, into four feet of mud. <laughs> and um, everybody thought it was hilarious, apart from me. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was standing backstage, covered, completely covered in mud, Thinking to myself, you know, I was, I was feeling very dejected and very humiliated and, 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 and very low and thinking, I've blown it because it was only my third um, performance in my life. I thought, this is it. Nobody's ever going to want to book me again. And just as I was thinking that, Malcolm walked up to me and he said, what? That was great. <laughs> Big, bad, innocent book 
with no new leaves left to turn. All your pages stuck together, bound by your first rule of comedy. Fall over, get your knob out. <laughs> you, once, you once caused me to cry with laughter until I thought I would die. You took me for a ride in the tartan taxi. It had tartan seats and tartan carpet and tartan fairy lights and a tape playing awful tartan bagpipe music. <laughs> and the driver changed hats and smiled like a lunatic as he drove us round and round and round the same roundabout for half an hour. <laughs> you encouraged him, Malcolm. You encouraged the child in all of us. Blue raspberries and pissed down the back of pomposity. We will miss you, Malcolm. No one is brave enough to take your place. So when you fell over for the last time on Monday the 31st of January 2005, I really hope you had your knob out. <laughs> this last bit of the poem is a bit tasteless, Malcolm, especially to be read in a church. Some people might be offended by it. They might think it's not very nice to speak of the dead in this way. What's that you say? Fuck him, oi oi!
So with many words, much laughter, many memories in our hearts, we offer our prayers for Malcolm on this, his funeral day. Let us pray. You can shed tears because Malcolm has gone, or you can smile and laugh because Malcolm has lived. You can close your eyes and pray that he'll come back, or you can open your eyes and see all that he's left. Your heart can be empty because you cannot see him. Or you can be full of the love that you shared with him. You can turn your back on tomorrow and live for yesterday. Or you can be happy for tomorrow because of yesterday. You can remember Malcolm and only that he has gone. Or you can cherish his memory and let it live on. You can cry and close your mind. You can be empty and turn your back. Or you can do what Malcolm would have wanted. Smile, laugh, <coughs> open your eyes, love, and go on. Loving and merciful God, you have called Malcolm to be with you. And we pray that now that his journey is over, you will receive him into your eternal arms. That you will surround him with light and love and hope. And that he will be safe forever. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all those whose lives were touched by Malcolm's life. Praying by name for Joe, for Alex, for Claire, for Frank, and for Poppy, and waiting for him on the other side to guide him to God's throne in glory. We remember his dad. We pray for all the homes and families represented here today. 
We give thanks for the life and the light and the laughter which we have shared today. And we pray that we will leave this place determined to bring that same life, light and laughter to all whom we meet this day and forever. Amen. We say together the prayer that Jesus gave us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, since now dozens and dozens of people wrote in and uh, John set up a website, and uh, people wrote in with stories and memories of Malcolm. I'm now going to invite Alice and Claire, uh, Malcolm's brother and sister, and some good friends. Uh, and they're going to read out some of the things that have been said to you from people all around the world. Australia, people knew and love Malcolm. We're just going to group around the coffee and read out a few memories that people have. Uh, okay, so we've got Chris Lindy, Steve Cross and Martin and so likes uh, the Ralph and Claire and Alex and Martin Potter uh, and then we'll see and then Martin will say something as well. Malcolm was a mad, eccentric comedy genius who stamped his mark on everyone he met. Thirty times I met him and, thir- and have thirty different memories that still make me laugh today, like Tommy Cooper. You only have to look at him to feel good inside. He had a profound influence on me. Malcolm was a legend and a true Gandalf of the dark alchemy of the publicity stunt. <laughs> I first met Malcolm when I was five. I was dressed in a full cowboy outfit, and it was the fashion then. It was my first day of primary school. He looked at me and started giggling, and then we spent the next 48 years giggling with occasional bouts of prison, seeing fights in the mask, blowing up stolen buses with fireworks, and driving cars through supermarket windows. <laughs> Always fantastically funny. More loved in Greenwich than the Cutty South. How he didn't float with those bollocks is a mystery to us all. <laughs> Arriving one afternoon to be greeted by Malcolm, opening the front door and saying, I suppose you want to be bloody well eaten as well. And you will have because I've made a big enough load of it, and it turned out to be a wonderful chicken curry that showed me he was also a good chef and a cook, kitchen hand, and I've yet to taste a better curry. But can I just add at this, at this juncture here, this, this joke has already been entered as issued as we entered these 
this, uh, this church today, but this is true. Because when I first, for the first time, entered these hallowed walls, it was to witness the blessing of the marriage of Malcolm to Jane. And they do say that you only enter St. Alfred's twice in your lifetime. <laughs> once on the way out, and once on the way down. Good to be back. <laughs> did, I drop, did I drop that over there, that poem? In your own time, Chris. Well, it'll have to wait until later. Sorry, I'll go and get it. I've been hilariously appalled by much of his stage work. Simply irreplaceable. His huge intelligence and generosity as a pub quiz rival or team member, we will all miss a genuine, eccentric, and a lovely bloke. <laughs> no, I'm, if I'd have written it, he was crap at <laughs>
but for dying aged 55. Well, I... One of the most sweetly mad people I'll probably ever meet. He could be such a dirty old man, but finally it never offended. It feels like a chapter of life has been firmly slammed shut and I miss seeing him bumbling down the street. God love him. He's probably set up some game of craps with an ogre of the ancient truth. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of love, Malcolm. Uh-huh. Malcolm successfully turned himself into a South London Jack the Lad, but the real Malcolm was and remained entirely different. A highly intelligent, rather shy, gentle, and despite his borrowing habits and forgetfulness, <laughs> an enormously generous man. Malcolm Arley was arguably the greatest influence on British comedy over the last 25 years. I didn't mind that, by the way. Everything about Arley was larger than life, except his bank balance. Oh. <laughs> and we're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Well, I always prefer to look at the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm once told me that when he wrote down one of his catchphrases, he always wrote it as oi oi, as oi oi, never oi oi. Because he didn't want to be linked to the skinhead racist thinking. Perhaps that was a sign that part he was a rather thoughtful and reflective and humane man. He was also a genuinely kind man, and aside from all his knob out antics, he was actually a shy and sensitive man who needed just as much approval as the next comic. <clears throat> we were both unable to comprehend or calculate what had actually happened. Malcolm's decision was beyond any previously known social conduct. <laughs> he must have simply had the idea and acted upon it. Anarchy. We laugh now. R.I.P. You can still see the look of horror and wonder on those young, innocent students' faces. <laughs> I, I actually had a bet with Malcolm as to which of us would die first. Um, <laughs> So he owes me even more money now. (laughs) And this is someone else wrote, Malcolm, my will asks that you speak at my funeral. I hear you have a better booking. Oh, well. (laughs) It was an honour to walk in your shadow. Irresponsible, conscience-free, worry-free. Fun-seeking, knew how to have a laugh. A woman in every port. Highly intelligent. All the things I wish I could be. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> now, I feel obliged, really, because I mean, I used to work with a man. But um, this, is, this is an ode that was written by one of our regulars, personally, to Malcolm. And he left it on the wall of the bar. And it reads as this, an ode to Malcolm. You left the wibbly and took a wobbly, then drank the dock dry. So I'm writing this scribbly about Mr. Wobbly, whose memories will never die. And so, Mr. Hardy, if you're having a Bacardi, wherever you drifted ashore, because we're, we're here at the bar, and we're having a jar, and there's no one that misses you more. That's life, Scottish Steve. This one's for you, boy. 
preach it personally in their lap, and I know you are an irreverent git. But wherever you are, from me, God bless you, and God keep you.
Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon you, everyone, upon the homes and families whom you represent, upon all those whom you love and who love you, and all for whom you pray this special day and forevermore. Amen. May the choirs of angels come to greet him. May they lead him to paradise. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 